0: said it first
1: what you did oh all right well i'm fine i'm good grunge girl just came back so the dog is about to go nuts but actually skeeter's got a lot better at um dealing with approaching vehicles oh he recognizes grunge girl's car for sure
0: yeah i hear his little skeeter song that he's singing
1: (laughs) grunge girl goes out and does stuff you know Mm -hmm. and i stay home and do like nothing
0: Right, right. As the good Lord intended.
1: He's used to seeing her car go back and forth. Right. And me just, you know. Stay. Yeah, so I haven't been outside today. I'm excited to go outside. It's just a cold fall day.
0: Yeah. You've been a busy little bee this week.
1: I have been. Just a lot of work at work. Uh, There's a, we discovered like a giant, ugly, bad drywall patch in the ceiling that we uh, devoted a lot of time to repairing ourselves.
0: Did you have to install new drywall?
1: We had to install like a big chunk of drywall.
0: Got it. Drywall is such weird stuff.
1: It is totally weird.
0: It's like big sheets of chalk, basically. Yeah,
1: basically. I I was talking to Grunge Girl. This has been a recurring conversation between us where it's like, we just live in wood that is on the inside, covered in chalk dust,
0: <laughs> that is held yeah.
1: together by paper.
0: How is it held together by paper?
1: Well, the chalk dust is the stuff in the middle that creates the oh, thickness. Oh, right.
0: The chalk dust is held together by paper. Yeah. Okay.
1: We have paper mache. That's right. We live in a paper mache. <laughs> you live mache. in a paper
0: mache diorama. Yeah. yeah. God.
1: It's really the same as like like a living in a mud hut or anything. It's just all so
0: fancified.
1: It's all so fancified. It's all. Yeah, it's just like a yeah. thin veneer of quote unquote civilization, you know? Mm-hmm. Which then, you know, makes you wonder why it costs so much to buy a house and stuff. But
0: <laughs> Right, if it's just chalk and sticks.
1: It really is chalk sticks
0: arranged in a special way. Yeah. A special fancy way.
1: Yeah, so there's been a lot of that.
0: Did you vote? How was your voting experience? How oh,
1: I voted? I just like went and was like, okay, like, Democrat.
0: <laughs> right. Jack, jack, jack.
1: When there was a Green Rainbow Party candidate, I picked them, though. Ooh. Are people going to be mad at me for that? I'm not sure.
0: Wait, is Green Rainbow like a special party all its own?
1: I think Green, I think it's the same as Green. It might be the Massachusetts, you know. Got it. I don't know. It's not like it matters in Mm -hmm. Massachusetts anyway, you know. The margins are so high that you can do that stuff, and hopefully people won't yell at you for voting third party.
0: (laughs) Well, there's only one way to find out. Yeah.
1: Okay. Listeners, if you want to yell at me
0: for voting third party. For
1: voting third party for like state treasurer or something. I don't even remember.
0: (laughs) Right. Right.
1: Um, you can yell at me.
0: I voted, which was very surreal because the Trump um like Trump versus Biden election was the first election I ever voted in. Really? Yeah, if you can believe it, because I've been such a little punk all my life. I've either like been too literally like my life is too in shambles to vote or being very anarchist about it. But eventually my dear friend and like my own conscience also convinced me that like I had to buckle down and get over it. And so I did. And now I've like become sort of like have much more of a attachment to voting. So it was interesting to have like my second voting experience ever and also because alan fung who used to be the mayor of the town where i live was running for a republican house seat and he had a good chance of winning and he's a piece of shit and rhode island hasn't sent a republican to the house in like since the 80s so i would have felt really shitty if he had won because i feel like He's my responsibility, I guess, because he used to be the mayor of this town where I live.
1: Are rabbis allowed to say that people are pieces of shit? Is that... Uh,
0: I... I mean... Rabbis have a very uh, undefined roles, both in Jewish tradition and in American legal tradition. So I think that's probably the wrong approach to the question.
1: I bet the answer is something like, historically, yes. But like in modern times, the the role of the rabbi is like, "Mm, I don't know. You're supposed to be like, you know.
0: Political.
1: Yeah, you're supposed to be like, kind of like a politically neutral, like... I don't know.
0: Right. But then, like, neutrality in the face of oppression. They
1: love that shit. They love it. They love it. This is actually related to why I am quite into the idea of apocalyptic preachers and stuff and, like, hellfire. I just love Mm -hmm. the energy there. And I really appreciate that. So, I don't mean to call you out for calling right. someone a piece of shit they i like have it some
0: pizzazz
1: yeah yeah they got some pizzazz they like you know it's not just
0: bring back the billy graham era
1: yeah we need billy graham rabbis really is We have too much HR. I mean, there
0: are Billy Graham rabbis in the Hasidic world. There are Hasidic events where they like fill up a football stadium.
1: Which is, I think, like I probably wouldn't agree with a lot of what they're about, you know, where they're headed. I don't know. Maybe I would. Who knows? But I do appreciate the form a lot.
0: Yeah, I can. I'll go there with you. I appreciate the energy, although the majority of the content is terrifying.
1: I think the closest thing that I've experienced that not only do I appreciate the form, but also resonate with like the message is like Bernie Sanders, if he was a rabbi, you know?
0: Right. I mean, this is what we like about Shabbatai.
1: That's right. That's true. Shabbatai
0: exactly. really had this this vibe nailed down.
1: Yeah, it's a good vibe. I don't know what it is. It's either innate, hard to cultivate, but definitely right. we need some more, you know, queer quote-unquote rabbis or whatever who are mm-hmm. like that. That's fun.
0: It takes a lot of earnesty.
1: Yeah, yeah. You have to... I mean, I'm not going to be that person.
0: (laughs) It's not going to be me, baby. I just
1: want to go to the show. I just want to buy a ticket.
0: Right. Right.
1: Can you imagine if on Rosh Hashanah, you and I were like, oh, we're getting tickets.
0: Oh, we've got to go see like this one rabbi. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's going down. It's going to be in Providence. Friday night. Well,
0: I think you're actually, this is like turning into a serious conversation about Jewish congregational life. But this is actually part of the problem for congregational rabbis is that they're basically expected to perform like rock stars and that they're expected to create a spiritual atmosphere day in and day out. Like they're expected to do a performance that is like speaking to people spiritually Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Well, as they should.
1: (laughs) i disagree i don't think they're expected to because i'm not feeling it you know if they're expected to shouldn't there be someone in the new england area i can go to and like buy tickets and rock out to but there isn't i
0: mean there probably is i don't know who they are but i bet there is if you know listeners tell us I'm sure they're out there.
1: Anyway, how else are you?
0: I'm well. I just took a little baby ace, the baby corgi, who's now the mascot of our show, on a walk. Let's see. Oh, a friend who has been out of town came into town today, and I got to see her, and that was so special and nice. We got into a long conversation about the stuff we talked about on our math episode, about whether numbers were discovered or detected. And I was just thinking about how I, I get off really easy in that conversation, because I already believe in God, so it's like, I get absolute truth like for free like in a bargain package with belief in god so i get to sort of like cheat at some of those conversations
1: so wait does that mean that you come down on there the the, the, well how does that well i guess
0: what i'm saying is like the argument about whether absolute truth exists at all which you need to figure out before you can figure out whether numbers exist
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, is a much
0: higher stakes argument than whether numbers in particular are a part of that category of absolutes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when
0: I have that conversation with myself, I'm just deciding, are numbers in or out of the absolute truth circle?
1: Right. Other people
0: still have to figure out, does that circle exist in the first place? Which is like a much higher stakes conversation.
1: That didn't even occur to me that when people are asked the question, are numbers like a real thing? Uh, <laughs> that they have to then grapple with, like, if there is anything that's real. Uh,
0: well, I th- I think they should, if they want to answer that question.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I just think the assumption is that most people's default is there are things that are real, and so then <laughs> they're <What> dealing...
0: Rubes. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I think there are things <laughs> that are real. So I, I guess know I'm a that's what I
0: think too. That's I know, why I said know, it so do. sarcastically. You
1: do. You like to play the part of someone sometimes who thinks that things aren't I
0: know. I've played the part of someone every day and fail miserably. It
1: infuriates me. You pretend that. But things you aren't do it real. too. Only. To only it when back it's fun, you, only to pair it back to you what it's like. No, I want to show you. You do
0: it yourself no, for your own reasons. No,
1: no, no. I am What earnest, you're telling
0: me is you say things a hundred percent sincerely.
1: No, no, no. But when I say it in jest, I do it. uh No, no. It, when I uh, when the, you, you
0: <laughs> look,
1: I can't teach you how to how to understand irony and sarcasm. You know, these things are just <laughs> innate.
0: Women are just naturally not funny, and that's my problem.
1: Uh <laughs> I didn't say that, but it's true. No. I'm just you
0: kidding. implied it.
1: Oh uh, <laughs> no, my did not fault you're a
0: bitch, okay.
1: Okay, okay. But should we just start the pod?
0: Oh, uh, this is the pod, baby. This is as good as it gets. That's this a is a nice
1: mug. I like your mug.
0: Thank you. I really like it. I especially like uh if you can see it has this little red star on the inside on the lip.
1: Oh, it's very Texas, I feel like.
0: Yes, it is. I think I got it at a thrift store in Texas.
1: It has a rooster on it with a red star on the outside and inside. Yeah,
0: I like the red star on the inside because, I don't know, it gives me like an extra hit of dopamine when I'm like, oop, I know my cup is full because I touched the bottom of that red star marking. I don't know.
1: It's delightfully kitsch. Yeah. It is nice.
0: That's what all mugs must be. Yes, okay. Okay. Tell my time.
1: Tell my time. Tell my time.
0: Listener question. I had a thought for what could be an interesting topic, but wasn't sure if the voicemail box is a real voicemail. Uh, Do I want to read that part of the question? Well,
1: first introduce that you're about to read a listener question.
0: I'm about to read a listener question.
1: Well, I'd say it not in a way that's (laughs) (laughs) just come on. My
0: obstructionism is the friction that makes this show hot. (sighs) Yes. The tension between you wanting to make a podcast and me enjoying stopping you is what makes the show go.
1: Yep, yep, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so this is a question from a dear listener who said a bunch of really sweet things about the podcast that I'm not going to read, but just know that we see them and we appreciate them, and I'm just going to start with the actual question part. I work in U.S. Western water law, and water justice is a big passion of mine. I interact with people pretty regularly for whom water isn't just a utility, but a spiritually meaningful connection. I know that Judaism does have spiritual meaning behind water, like mikvah ot, but that's pretty much the extent of what I can think of. I'd love to hear some fun or interesting sources you all have around the spirituality of water in traditional Jewish texts. Secondly, while probably being less interesting for most listeners, I would absolutely nerd out over some water management halakhot if those exist, lol. How do the rabbis handle water disputes? What were some Talmudically prescribed solutions during times of drought? Does the Gemara recognize water rights as property, or is it something totally different? I appreciate you all taking the time to read my admittedly niche questions. Thank you both again.
1: Cool question, listener.
0: Yes, this is a great question. I was very excited to get into it, so thank you for sending it to us. Michael, you start, because you said you did a lot on this.
1: Well, yeah, there's so much about water. What are some of the things we've already talked about with water? There there was that. Well, we um, did a
0: whole episode on God as water God as
1: water. Yep, yep. Completely
0: separate from this question.
1: And then there was that Akiva ruling that was kind of harsh. From oh,
0: drinking the water in the desert.
1: Drinking the water in the desert. Yep.
0: I put a tiny note about that at the end of my things. There was the time so long ago, but still a story that I think about all the time, that you brought a midrash about people were out on the sea and they got hit by a wave so high that it took them all the way up into space.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yep, gosh.
0: Yep, yep. That was a good one. Also, of course, the half fish plowing the sea.
1: Yep, yep. <laughs> you yep, know, yep. plowing
0: something that's like half in the sea, half in the land.
1: Yep, yep, yep. All of that.
0: Some great hits.
1: I did find some stuff about water legality. Okay. Definitely there is a separation between ownership and legal right to use water.
0: Ooh, usufruct.
1: Usufruct? What's Usufruct? Oh, the right to use something. Yeah. Or is that like high fructose corn syrup or something?
0: <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, the right to enjoy the use and advantage of another's property short of the destruction or waste of its substance. No, no. Usufruct.
1: No. What it is, it's a combination of usury and high fructose corn syrup. It's like the two <laughs> That's right. worst things in the world.
0: Oh, my God. Okay, tell me about water usufruct.
1: Okay, I'm just going to read some stuff in English and we're going to talk about it. From Bavakama 81A, William Davidson, translation. The sages taught in a baraita. Joshua stipulated ten conditions when he apportioned Eretz Yisrael among the tribes. So mm-hmm. Joshua, the predecessor to Moses, helped the whole conquering right. of... Not you know,
0: predecessor, successor.
1: Successor, that's what I meant to say. Successor of Moses, helped conquered and divide up Israel among the twelve tribes. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. are ten stipulations that he gives... The conditions are that people shall have the right to graze their animals in forests, even on private property, and that they shall have the right to gather wood from each other's fields to be used as animal fodder, and that they shall have the right to gather wild vegetation for animal fodder in any place except for a field of fenugreek, and that they shall have the right to pluck off a shoot anywhere for the propagation and planting except for olive shoots, and the people of the city shall have the right to take supplies of water from a spring on private property even from a spring that emerges for the first time so even like a fresh new spring wow and they shall have the right to fish in the sea of Tiberius the sea of Galilee provided that the fisherman does not build an underwater fence to catch fish thereby causing an impediment to boats and the sea of Tiberius i think was owned by the Naphtali tribe so okay but everyone was allowed to fish there Got it. So, that is a baraita.
0: Wow. Joshua, son of nine, legislating protection of the commons. We love to see. Yeah,
1: it. yeah. He really kind of goes Iconic. for it. The sugias that follow this baraita kind of go into each one of those ten. I think they actually figure it. That's like 11 things that are really mm-hmm. listed there. Okay. Or they bring in another one that was not included for whatever reason. And they go through the details like, why can you not pick the olive branch? Gathering wood. What type of wood are they talking about? They get into Mm -hmm. the specifics, and the edge cases are really interesting in and of themselves. You can't clip olive shoots because they claim that that hurts the olive tree, and you don't want to hurt the tree that someone belongs to. Mm -hmm. They even go into things like what side of the tree sun-facing versus Mm non-sun-facing. And yeah, generally, the consensus is in the Talmud that yeah, this water, the right to use the water is not tied to the ownership of the water. Anyone in the city can use water that's from the city. It seems to be elsewhere, like a uh, halakhic authorities in the future said that if there was an Akiva-like situation where there's water from a city that arises in a spring in a city and that flows downstream to like another city, but there's mm-hmm. only enough water for one of the two cities, that first city can prioritize using it.
0: Got it. So water belongs closer to its source rather than to its destination?
1: Yeah, yeah. Water belongs closer to its source than its destination, and doesn't belong to the owner of the source. It belongs to kind of come up
0: later in something that I brought.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, it belongs to the community around it, and they call that a city. You know, Mm -hmm. but uh, I think that's the basic idea. So there's this disconnect between property ownership and who can use it, like we talked about, and what the listener Joshua, son of
0: none, more advanced and egalitarian water law than we have in our own times.
1: Yeah, kind of. Uh,
0: Nestle stonks crashing as we make this podcast.
1: Nestle stonks? Why Nestle?
0: (laughs) Because they steal water from communities all over the world and bottle it. Because they're like pure evil. (laughs) Them and Coca-Cola are like the two worst water thieves in the world, I think.
1: Wow. Okay, wow. It reminded me a lot of um, kind of the differences between property rights and ownership in the U.S. versus, like, other places. Uh, Like, one of the things Mm -hmm. that Sam told me about a long time ago was the right to roam in Scotland. That this was a historic thing that the British took away and then they reinstated in, like, 2003. But basically, you can walk anywhere on private property so long as you're not damaging it.
0: Right. Anywhere in Scotland. You can, like, cut through the field to get over to the next road or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you're not really, I think you have to not have fences. I think there's even rules about if you have a fence, you have to have like a public opening.
0: Right. This is like really reminding me of just last night, my boyfriend and I were talking about our different experiences when we walked the dog. And he was like, oh yeah, the dog, like he always wants to go on people's yards and I can't let him. And I was like, oh, I let him walk all over people's yards. Like I didn't even consider not letting him in people's yards like
1: really you didn't consider it
0: no because it's just like you know you walk past all these front yards that are just like it would be very hard to prevent the dog from going in them at all there's no fences there's no it's like the same level as the sidewalk I don't know. I
1: I mean, I agree with you. It should be that way. But like, people are crazy. People get mad, you know?
0: I know. I know. And that's what's like really making me think about it in this moment is people get mad about their lawns, which is just the worst because lawns are the worst. Lawns shouldn't even exist. And also to make it doubly worse, I'm like predisposed to hate lawns even more because where I live, the wildest thing is that sidewalks are private property. And so it's the responsibility of the homeowner. And they can just tear the sidewalk out to have more lawn, which often they do. And so we have really broken sidewalks. What? And so sometimes I can't help but go through someone's lawn because there's no sidewalks.
1: Sidewalks are private property? Yeah. In Rhode Island or in the town you're in?
0: In the town where I live.
1: Okay. Okay. That is wild.
0: Yeah. And so sometimes it's like literally there's nowhere I could go except to go through someone's yard. Those times have predisposed me to think like, fuck. All these yards, basically.
1: Well, the rabbis are totally for going through people's yards. I think the 11th condition of, you know, settling Eretz Yisrael, they say comes from King Solomon, and it's about being able to cross through people's farm fields and stuff like that. Hell yeah. And they talk about, even in the Talmud, if you need to, like, pull over to the side of the road on someone's property because there's some stuff in the road that's in your way, you can do that. They even say if you're lost in a vineyard... You can, like, just start cutting vines out to get free if you somehow end up, Or if you see someone that's lost, like, you can go in and start slicing and dicing.
0: Wow. The right to slice and dice protected constitutionally.
1: There's another cute one. I think it goes, like, if your beehive, if the bees move and, like, land in a tree on someone's property and they're making their honey, you can go and, like, cut that limb off the tree, but you have to pay them for the limb of the tree and mm-hmm. that you cut down. So, like, that's your... Right, That's
0: very cute. I would love to have that interaction.
1: It makes me think of that law really doesn't precede what are considered good norms or what's considered correct and wrong. They like just describe kind of what the norms right. are. They,
0: they follow after common practice. Yeah,
1: and then they try and attempt to put it into some sort of framework that makes sense and that it inevitably doesn't. Ownership is not the same as right to exclusively use, and it's very weird that we kind of have that now Mm -hmm. it's just wacky so basically water listener it's like communally owned
0: it's a public good
1: it's a public good one of the other things the listener brought up was how to resolve issues with droughts Mm -hmm. part of that is the ownership of the water goes closer to the source so that's one thing that seems to have held up in Discussions, but the other is the classic just praying for rain. That's another thing that, uh, people right. do. that's pretty big.
0: Yeah, that's most of Masechet Taranit is about praying for rain, what qualifies as a drought, when you do it. If we wanted to bring all the drought stuff, that would be like a podcast in itself.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that would be
0: not even an episode, just like a full mini series about drought.
1: Didn't we bring something like an episode a while ago about some rabbi who was like so righteous that he could just talk to oh, God yeah. in a rude way? Tony
0: Hamagel yeah. was uh there's a famous story about basically I'll just tell the like telling it off the top of my head version, but this is in Maseret Taranit, somewhere in the early Duffs. There's a town that's in a drought and they ask him to come pray for rain. And so he comes and he draws a circle on the ground and says, I'm not going to move out of this circle until it rains. And it rains, but then it's raining really hard. So hard that it's like destroying the soil. And Honi is like, God, I did not ask for a rain like this. I wanted good rain that would fill up the cisterns. So fix that. Yeah. And God fixes it. And then a- another rabbi comes along and it's like, wow, if you were anyone else, I would have to excommunicate you because you just basically like swore something that you had no way to know if it was going to come true. But apparently God like likes you so much and you're so special that you're allowed to do stuff like that because it worked out.
1: I love that kind of style. I feel like I see that in the Talmud semi-often, where if you were someone else, I would do something awful, but because you're who you are, you're cool, you're you're righteous. Right, you're
0: special. You're a special baby.
1: Something like that was happening, actually, in this section of Talmud that I brought, where they were talking about you know, going onto private property, if there's an obstruction in the road, and they saw some rabbi who was like walking really sillily to, like, avoid the obstructions, so he couldn't, mm-hmm. wouldn't have to go on the private property. And the rabbis were like, if you were anyone else, I would, like, cut off your legs with metal shears. <laughs> Whoa. But you're just real righteous. Whoa. Yeah, it was pretty aggressive.
0: Okay, I brought some municipal shit of my own. Okay, good. I brought some non-municipal shit as well, but we'll start with the municipal shit, which is from Masechet Gittin, DAF 5. So... So these are the things that the sages said for the sake of the ways of peace. So the Kohen reads the Torah first and after that the Levi and after that everybody else for the sake of the ways of peace. So they create the zoning boundaries of the Eruv based off of the old house, even if a new person moves into it, for the sakes of the ways of peace. And now, our relevant piece, The pit that is nearest to the irrigation channel, literally to the arm of the river, is filled first on account of the ways of peace. So basically, irrigation pits are filled based on proximity to the river arm.
1: Oh, so that's kind of in line with uh, the right to use water comes with the nearness to the source.
0: Exactly. That's what I meant when I said it would come back later. Personally, I kind of doubt that that many people came to the rabbis with quarrels about irrigation channel filling. But I do think quarrels about irrigation channel filling were a regular occurrence.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it's interesting that the rabbis have such a clear little, like, water policy baked into the halakha. And also, just like, a side matter, is like, a really interesting issue in this whole thing is, these are, at the beginning of the sugya, we read, dvarim anru mipne darche shalom. These are the things they instituted for the sake of the ways of peace. What the fuck is that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Were the were the Levites really mad at the Cohens at some point?
0: Yeah, but also, like, even aside from any specific circumstances, the ways of peace is not a halachic right, rationale.
1: Right, right. right. It's not. Know? We don't have some sort of. There's nothing in the Jew creed
0: right that says right be you're allowed to do this if it's for the ways of way, peace." yeah
1: ways of peace. what does that even mean that's true that's yeah. true
0: so they rationalize that later by saying that basically somewhere in the torah there's this verse that says all the ways of the torah are peaceful or something similar to that i could pull up the citation but mm. um so they're saying like that's why we do this for the ways of peace but really it's like Two things, I think, are going on. One of them is just, like, the rabbis are going to do what they're going to do, and they'll make up whatever legal fabric they need to make to, like, fill out the rest later. And they're probably also just, like, legislating what's already happening. Like, people already probably broadly accept that you fill up the first irrigation pit first, which drives up, you know, the property values of first irrigation pit land parcels.
1: Yeah, but then again, they probably have to pay higher flood insurance.
0: Right. So, <laughs> of course. And they're farther out. away from the Sea of Tiberias, so their fishing rights are.
1: Yeah, yeah you know, it's 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 trade offs here.
0: Right. And so, you know, the things that they're instituting here, like the Cohen reading first and also the thing about the Aruve, are probably just what people already do, and they're sort of taking this opportunity to jot that down
1: mm-hmm, and make yeah. it
0: like the case on purpose.
1: This is all reminding me of something that's always kind of bothered me starting around like 12 or 13 <laughs> okay. when I realized this, which was that Quabbin Reservoir, which is this big, giant, multi square mile, I think even, flooded area in central Massachusetts, uh-huh. was created as a water source for mm-hmm. Boston. It's always bothered me for some reason that all this like water is for Boston. I don't know, just like hatred of, uh, of the city folk, I guess, you know, some, some of that. It's interesting, it makes me think there.
0: about the fact that there are no natural lakes in the state of Texas, which is where I grew up. But there are tons of man-made lakes, and they have really erratic water cycles, so they dry up all the time. So a big thing I would do when I was a kid, we, we'd go walk around on the lake bed and see what kind of stuff was down there.
1: Well, whose lake bed was it? Did you ask me?
0: It was the cities.
1: Oh, city. It was like a a,
0: a park, you know, like a state park or a city park. It was like that kind of property law.
1: Oh, I would love to walk on one of those lake beds.
0: Although it did get wacky because, of course, people buy houses with docks on the lake. And then it's like, where does the dock property begin? I'm sure there were very specific zoning laws about this, but very relevant to our water legislation question
1: we had a, a dam it was in danger of breaking and you know flooding so they needed to start releasing water temporarily from this lake in the town i grew up in and and on the deeds of the houses that were along the lake it said their land ended at the edge of the lake so i guess legally they their land actually increased in size while the uh, lake was draining very yeah. weird but then they fixed the yeah. dam so but then their land was stolen from them so mm-hmm. it's great so Great way of appropriating <laughs> land is just covering is to flood it. it. Flood it. Flood <laughs> it. Just go around.
0: That's why God flooded the earth is because there were some competing property claims. It was all basically God flooded the earth for the insurance.
1: Well, yeah, he flooded it for the insurance, and really, he flooded it because he wanted to put all land into the public domain, which is kind of a nice right. Thing.
0: Which is what Joshua son of Nun legislated later.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, he enshrined it.
1: You're allowed to fish in the Sea of Tiberias, and the Sea of Tiberias will be expanded to cover (laughs) all of Eretz Yisrael. (sighs) We're going to seastead. Oh my god, that's the solution. That's the solution to all of the the Middle East. (laughs) Seasteading? Seasteading. Seasteading.
0: Everyone move to the houseboat.
1: Float the Temple Mound up on a big (laughs) raft. You know?
0: Flood of the world, man. You're telling me the flood is the solution, is what I'm hearing.
1: We don't need a western wall. We need a western swimming pool, is what I'm saying. <laughs> that would be sweet. Men on one side, women on the other uh, side. Everyone's... This is
0: all just reminding me. Sasha Baron Cohen is like obviously problematic in many ways, but in his movie Bruno, he does some really wild shit where he pretends to create peace in the Middle East, and he has some kind of palestinian authority and uh, some kind of israeli authority in the same room and he just says why can't we just all come together and kill the christians oh my god and that spoke to me spiritually
1: <laughs> oh that's funny yeah i don't actually want to flood you know jerusalem so don't jump
0: down. wow my throat. boring so you're telling me you argued that just because you thought it would be funny
1: No, actually, no, no, I take it back. I'm for it. I'm for the the venisification of Jerusalem.
0: (laughs) Michael has been officially Venice-pilled, people.
1: I mean, I think it's the solution. I mean, I am Venice-pilled because you want to get rid of all property-related issues, private property, Coca-Cola, all of the bullshit out there. Just flood it. Just flood (laughs) it and (laughs) cease that. flood the whole thing. There you go.
0: Wow, too bad God promised never to do that again. Is the rainbow negotiable? That's what I want to know.
1: This is why I voted for the Rainbow Party.
0: <laughs> this is why I voted for well, Green what's Rainbow. What's your stance on renegotiating our flood contract with God? Madam <laughs> Secretary, where do you stand on the flood the world question?
1: You know it would be crazy if like a conservative Jew was like, see, God promised never to flood the world. That's God saying that he is for private property ownership.
0: Oh my god. Because not flooding the world is what allows private property, is what you're saying. (laughs) Because
1: God is saying there will always be areas of the earth that it will be okay. For there to be glad you've
0: property. invented a rabbi for us to get mad at what else did you bring about water Michael?
1: nothing that's it
0: nothing that's that's enough for you okay well let me let me do a couple other fun things okay so another fun thing from Ta'anit 9B in this i'm just going to read in translation is Tani 9 that Rabbi Eliezer says the entire world drinks from the waters of the ocean as it is stated, there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, in Genesis six, Rabbi Yehoshua said to him, but the waters of the ocean are salty. Rabbi Eliezer said, they're sweetened in the clouds. Rabbi oh. Yehoshua says, the entire world drinks from the upper waters, a.k.a. some people had a cosmology that the whole sky was basically a vault full of water, a reverse ocean, if you will. Mm-hmm. The whole world drinks from the upper waters, as it is stated, and it drinks the water as the rain of heaven comes down, from Deuteronomy 11. But according to Rabbi Yehoshua, how do I deal with the verse about a mist coming up from the earth? Rabbi Yehoshua says, this teaches, that clouds grow stronger, rise up to the firmament, and open their mouths like a bottle, and receive the rain waters from above. And the clouds are perforated like a sieve, and they come and sprinkle water onto the ground. And between each and every drop, there is only a hairbreadth. This serves to teach you the day of rains is as great as the day on which heaven and earth were created. And that's oh. one. So that's one thing about water is just one. I think it's really cool to explore the rabbi's knowledge of the water cycle. And two, like this does feel like it's about water as a spiritual force.
1: I want to know more about their water cycle conception. Like
0: Right. Well, Rabbi Yehoshua thinks the clouds are like containers yeah
1: containers
0: and they go and like suck the water from heaven
1: right right but then where does but how does the water in heaven get replenished and how come we're not constantly how come we're not all the always flooded if there's the water isn't uh well know, they're the held up going? by
0: the the firmament
1: i mean after the water is rained it will continue to rain and rain and rain
0: oh right so wouldn't the water just build up over time and flood the or like where
1: does dried up water go rabbis mm-hmm. where does it go
0: <laughs> checkmate rabbis yeah i mean i wish also that rebi eliezer who said the whole world drinks from the ocean like that's pretty much the water cycle he's saying water evaporates and turns into clouds and rains back down but it doesn't really explicitly say that in this barita so i want to also know more about what rebi eliezer is, thinks going on and if rebi eliezer believes that there is a vault of water like was the main cosmology at this time like, what's the relationship for him of the water in the firmament to the water in the ocean?
1: If I was Rabbi Yehoshua, I would have been like, Rabbi Eliezer, if you believe that, then how do you reconcile the fact that the water was separated on, like, whatever day it was in Genesis? Like, you know, heaven water and earth water was separated. How come the right. heaven water is so sweet and nice? What's the deal?
0: <laughs> what's up with Where's that? Where's the
1: saltiness coming from?
0: Heaven water. Have you heard about this? Do you know about this? Why is the water from heaven always sweeter (laughs) than the water from earth?
1: I can't believe it.
0: We gotta get some of that heaven water down here.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, water. It's cool.
0: Another quick thing, and this is all Torah. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. When God began to create the heaven and the earth, the earth being unformed and void, with darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God swooshing, sweeping, swooping over the water... Rashi's commentary comes to say, the word tohu, which is part of the phrase unformed and void, signifies astonishment and amazement, for a person would have been amazed at its emptiness. Rashi goes on to say, and the Spirit of God was hovering. This means the throne of divine glory was standing in space, hovering over the face of the waters, by the breath of the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be He, and by His command, even as a dove hovers over its nest. So that's Whoa. just cool.
1: Okay, so it's basically like, that is seasteading. It's just a, a chair, a <laughs> God throne. God, the
0: original seasteader.
1: A throne that's just floating over water.
0: All right, what is a throne if not a houseboat?
1: It's just a helicopter. It's just a jetpack <laughs> on a on a chair.
0: So there was, God's throne was in the void over the waters, and that's just cool, and I thought it was fun to talk about. I mean, the the water cycle piece that I brought earlier is much more like about the spiritual power of water as a nurturer of the earth this is more just like a cool thing that happened also interesting that like for these people there seems to be no conflict between the idea that everything was a void but also there was a bunch of water yeah what's up with that i don't really fits in with our previous discussion on russian doll two one about god being pregnant with themselves
1: oh yeah. yeah and god
0: on the throne is like baby god inside the watery womb of mega god
1: this is now reminding me of the whole like a fish isn't aware of the water you know the way mm-hmm. that right. the human I'm is i'm not sure
0: that's true but
1: yeah i'm sure the fishes
0: i i think our knowledge about fish consciousness is pretty limited
1: but it's weird that there's i mean you can it's weird how you could imagine a creature or yourself not being aware of water or associating it with a void
0: right i guess that's true okay like for a fish Unformed and void, yet full of water, could be very much true. I think of a void as being full of space, which is like air, basically, like my equivalent of water.
1: It's it's one of those analogies, one of those things with the two colons, one's on one side, one's on the other side. Oh,
0: yeah, like the SAT questions, <laughs> blank is to blank as blank is yeah, to blank. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the technical word for that kind of question is. but Yeah,
1: fishes to water as like flying
0: god throne
1: i don't know i'm just thinking of a weird animal that traverses space you know like from star trek or something like a big flying you
0: know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about yeah i was just thinking are the equivalent of water for us is like dark matter or some shit you know oh yeah some shit that's like out there affecting everything but we're really not aware of it all
1: i was actually just watching with grunge girl some vhs's about dark matter stuff because she has a vhs player it's like old 90s 90s like stephen hawkins stuff right hell yeah it's kind of fun to watch
0: yeah dark matter I don't know anything about it, but I used an analogy about it when I was writing my halachic paper that I'm working on right now, saying there's a there's an invisible force, unnamed in the halacha affecting all of our decisions like dark matter affects the matter of our universe. Like
1: dark matter affects my decisions on a daily basis. <laughs>
0: exactly. Like I am controlled by dark matter.
1: Yeah, well. Wow. I just say thank you, dark matter, because if it wasn't Thanks, for you. Thanks, dark
0: matter, for looking out for us. Yeah, thank you. You know what? God did flood the world. With dark matter, think about it. Okay, great. I think we should wrap it up.
1: Okay, let's 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 wrap it up.
0: Uh, yeah, this has been a silly one. <laughs> it's been silly. <laughs> this has been a silly one, but a good one, I think. We talked about some good stuff, listener. I don't know. We answered your question a little bit. We talked about a little about the spirit water, the spirituality of water. We talked a little bit about municipalities. Mm-hmm. So I hope I hope you got something special out of this. Other listeners, if you too want us to give really silly but magical answers to your questions, if you do want to get Venice-pilled, send us your questions either via email at, at gmail.com or you can call in our Talmud hotline. Number is in the description. Text us or leave us a voicemail. Thank you all so much for listening to our babbling and
1: Shavua Tov.